Welcome to Bound by Books. I'm Marianne Morea, and I write paranormal romantic suspense. And Sherry Hayes, I write steamy contemporary romance and BDSM erotic romance. How are you today, Marianne? I'm good. I'm good. And you? I am knee deep in edits. Knee deep in edits. <laughs> I'm I'm yes. knee deep in cricketing because I have a. Uh, I have a, a book signing uh, at the Sleepy mm. Hollow Cemetery this weekend, and I am making swag that I can give Exciting. away and so forth. So, yeah, went out today to buy a witch hat and some other fun things to wear, you know, because you're going to sit in the cemetery on a Halloween weekend. You got to look the part, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sometimes so. those themed ones are kind of, they're just fun in their own right. You know, oh. to get out of the, tend to get out of the book world per se you know to i mean you're in it but you're not it, it's yes. that writing that line it's it's it can be quite fun this this <laughs> this is i i think it's this is my seventh year doing it with a break mm-hmm. last year um because i was just too far away to make it but um yeah because it's considered a quote-unquote craft fair um, yeah but it's it's so much fun there's such diversity and and then every afternoon around one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, especially if the weather's really good, the headless horseman plays a visit. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. The kids get a the kids that's, get a break out of it. You get a real kick out of it. So that's cute. Yeah, I've I've I I have done a couple of um craft slash vendor fairs that were not book focused. And I've had some really positive experiences with that. Um now, the, granted, there are some, you're always going to get the the handful, especially if you write romance or in in particular steamy romance, <laughs> uh, you're going to get that little, you know, some people who are a little bit prudy and, you know, just, you know, have their nose stuck in the air. And, um, but the overall consensus, I mean, at my last craft fair that I did, I had a woman that stopped by and she was just so happy because she said, you don't normally see these types of books at events like this, you know, you yeah. just don't. And, and, and she was the types of books she reads. So she was really excited to see, to see that. So yeah, it's, it's good to kind of branch out and, and get things, get things going. Well, today we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that and some other things. Um, both Marianne and I have been um, published for over 10 years. My first book published in 2010. When did your first book publish, Marianne? Um, when I was when I was with a small, you know, mid-sized publishing house, it was 2010. Mm-hmm. But I have been in okay. indie since 2014. So okay. almost 10 years as an indie, you know, eight years as yeah. an indie. But um, yeah, my experience with the publishing house was very poor. Um, yeah. So, you know, being an indie is something that um, I have 
been on the job training, so to speak, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of leads to what we're talking about you yeah. know, today, which is um, when you don't, when you're not with a publisher worth their salt, you know, mm-hmm. which I have to give props to Tina Moss, our, our one of our, uh, our mod pod potters here. Um, she is uh, the owner uh, or co-owner of um, City Owl Press. And even though they are small slash mid-sized press, mm-hmm. Tina knows her stuff. She does. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, anytime you're going with a publisher, especially a small publisher, and I say that because the the big guys, you know, you kind of know what you're, or you, you do a little research, you know what you're getting into when you're, you talk to people. Tradpub is, it's, it's kind of got some well-known pitfalls and some well-known advantages, although the advantages are shrinking yes. as ND has gained attraction over the years and become more legitimized. Um, but the, you know, there, the pitfalls of that are, are kind of, kind of well-known in the industry, but small presses, it's really dependent on which small press you go to. So when you have to really do your research, if you're going to, to use a small press, and that's not to say that, you know, just small presses in general are bad because some of them are awesome. Some of them will do tons of stuff for their authors. um, And others just are horrible. I mean, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I happen to unfortunately have been, with one of the ones that was horrible Mm -hmm. and me being of the generation that, and of the mindset that you give people a chance, um, you make a commitment, you don't fail at the first sign of trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's just not the way relationships are built. You know, you have to kind of weather, weather the storm. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way is that Mm -hmm. know when to say, "Uh, you know, this is just not Not working anymore. Yeah. yeah, I got really lucky with the small press that I uh, I signed with initially, and they were really really great. And um, when they decided to shut down their doors, um, because the owner wanted to kind of take a different direction, get out of publishing altogether, they did everything right that they should have done. They gave they just they just signed off the rights back to all of their authors. They didn't make us pay anything. They said, you are free to use the edits that you think, you know, that you have already done. You know, we don't, you don't have to re-edit anything. Um, The only thing you've got to do is recover it and, you know, get a new ISBN. But you're, you know, I have heard horror stories from people who have left small presses and they have had, they've basically been told that you have to have everything re-edited, which I don't quite understand. Because, you know, we own all that, you know, we own everything that happened from the time you handed over that manuscript to us and on. And so that kind of goes to the point of make sure that you have a lawyer read over any contract you sign because you you need an First of all, you need an out of your contract. You need to basic you need to have a have something in there that says if the publishing house is not doing their job. If they're not uh, doing what you are signing, you know, what the agreement is uh, in the contract, if they're agreeing to spend, you know, to market your book, if they're agreeing to put it in bookstores, whatever it is that's in that contract that you are agreeing to, 
you need to make sure that it says somewhere in there that if they are not doing X, Y, and Z, that you are able to get your rights back. I mean, you do not want to be into a stuck into a situation where, and there was a small press like this, they don't exist anymore, where the owner of the small press uh, owned the rights in perpetuity, which means forever. Yeah. And authors signed up. They were a very, very well-known press at the time and it's for erotic romance. And authors were signed up in droves. And I mean, they ended up, a lot of authors ended up having to take the owner to court in order to get uh, the rights back. So you want to kind of get it. But I know as a new new author, when I was first publishing my first book, I would have never, ever thought that I would have had to do that much upfront research. You know, most newbie authors are like, Oh, so excited. They wrote the book. They wrote their first book and they're ready to publish it. And there's a publisher interested in my book. Where do I sign? Yes. And, and, you know, taking that step back and, you know, going, okay, this is a legal contract. Book is your property. So if you wouldn't do that for, say, buying a house or a car, you know, would you go, you know, would you expect yeah. to go to a, some shady dealership and buy a car and sign a contract and not look it over first? Hopefully no. not. Of course Hopefully. not. It's just that they, they prey on people's dreams, you know, yeah. they prey yeah, on they people's really dreams. And, and the, there are vanity presses out there where if oh, I, if I ever hear, I mean, my sister had written a, a children's story, the book's written and now she's got to look for an illustrator and um you know she was talking about somebody had told her to go to fiverr and you know she was looking at college students you know art students that maybe Mm -hmm. they would want to do it and you know and i said to her do not enter into any agreement with anybody until you have an attorney look at it and until i look at it Mm -hmm. and she says she says well an attorney i said no 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 I said, there are different types of attorneys. I said, you need to get an intellectual property attorney that is familiar with publishing, number one. Mm-hmm. I said, and number two, you have to let me look at it too, because I'm going to know about all the different things that I made the mistakes of made the mistake of doing that I don't want you to do as well, mm-hmm. like signing up for royalty share or or splitting your splitting your royalties with somebody and then having them bail. You know, what if they don't mm-hmm. deliver on time? What if the work is crap? You know, make sure that if you're going to hire somebody who is, you know, who is uh, just you want it to be work for hire, but then they still own the copyrights and then you, they hold you up and then you cannot publish your book. You have to have everything laid out crystal clear before you do anything. So, I mean, but that's, that's a totally different situation. You know, publishing is just one angle of this. The other thing is the mechanics of writing. I mean, you and I were talking a little bit about this Mm -hmm. before we started recording. And I remember being a young, eager author (laughs) writing my first book And then having everybody and their brother have an opinion about my writing, which is, you know, critiques are important. You need to have critiques, but you have to remember a critique is only as good as the quality of the person giving you the critique, you know, and I would have people tell me, I mean, I had this, this one thing that was given to me years ago by an, by an an editor, um, and it was called sharpening the quill. And you can't even find it anymore. I found it when I was packing up when I had moved. It's somewhere in my office in my mess. But <laughs> it basically 
slaps you on the wrist every time you use an, an ly adverb or you yes. use passive you know passive voice like you know if you say somebody was running you know or was laughing you know that type of thing um, um you know staying away from the the gerunds and 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 so forth and you know what i agree if you use it too much it's lazy writing it is lazy writing everybody mm-hmm. needs fresh writing as uh you know, as I have been taught. And, you know, you need, uh, you need to, you know, there's the, the standard of um, get the job done writing that is interspersed with your, with your, with, with writing that is not cliche and not used over and over and over again, where the Mm -hmm. writer, I mean, where the reader knows what's coming because you, you know, because it's so ingrained in our vernacular that you have to find some ways of, of saying things that are unique and, and will grab the reader by the face type of type of writing. You want, you want that, but you cannot allow yourself to get so hung up that it, that you spend more of your time trying to, to trying to not, you know, to, to fix what you've got on the page that you don't write any other pages. Yeah. I can't, the, the LY thing is a big one because when I, yeah, when I first started writing, like that was the, that was a really big thing. Like as, yeah. even on social media and author groups is like, you can't use LY words. You can't use LY words. You know, it's just lazy writing. And it's like, okay, but there are some, especially when you're writing genre fiction, if you're writing a character, you know, in, in, in normal human conversation, we use a Y words. Mm-hmm. We just do. Finally. You know? Yeah. 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 Even a, yeah. stuff like really, very, those type of words, we use those. They, right. you know, yeah. If you're writing a technical journal, if you are writing a, like <clears throat> a, a guidance thing, you know, where it's nonfiction, then I could understand maybe trying to keep your L words, L-I-L-Y words to a minimum. Although I think they use them more, at least when I was younger, reading textbooks and stuff, they used L-Y words all the time. But yet we're not yep. supposed to in genre fiction. That makes no sense. Well, I think, uh, I think that the, the, what everybody gets hung up on is the not supposed to. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want you to, they don't, you know, when you're writing, you don't want your writing to sound juvenile. You don't want your writing to mm-hmm. sound um, amateurish, uh, amateurish. Um, so using LY adverbs, yeah, you can use them, but just don't have them be your go-to yeah. to make something emphatic. You know, there are other yeah. ways to make things emphatic and to make a point and yada yada mm-hmm. um but there are some words that i do try to stay away from and i do do a global search i stay you know the word like the word just you know the word that you know those yeah. words those words are kind of they're filler words you know so there has to be way you know i'm not saying don't ever use yeah, them yeah i was going to say but, that's the thing there you know, is not a there is not a moratorium there is not one word that you should never use like like there is not one word that where you where I could emphatically say, do not ever use this word because there's always a place somewhere that where that word would be appropriate. Right. It, I think it goes back to what we were talking about is that you want your work to, to sound professional. You want your mm-hmm. work to sound like you're like, you know what you're doing in terms of craft, you know, and that's where you draw the line between people who are amateurs and people who are people who who do have a grasp of the language and a grasp of how to craft um you know 
uh, craft, stories, not, not just good stories, but craft it in, in you know, using language appropriately. Um, you have to, you know, there are something, yeah, like don't ever end on a preposition. You know, there are times oh. when, you know, there are times when you're going to, because like yeah. you said before, when we speak, we don't always speak grammatically correct. Yeah. We, you know, you know, we talked, we talk, yeah, we, because the thing is, if you make things too formal, now, if you're writing a historical fiction, then you probably need to be paying more attention to things like that because back in like the 17, 1800s, they were a little more formal, especially if you're talking about aristocrats, you know, I mean, they were a little more posh. very formal. Yeah, posh, that's the word. Uh, posh, formal, whatever. And so you would have to, I would think, it well, don't write historical fiction, but I would think that you would need to pay a little more attention to that because they probably didn't end a whole lot of sentences with prepositions they also but, had they also maybe. had their own their own language their own way of speaking they, the right. the the english that we use today the casual language we use today mm. in terms of the way things were written say the way jane austen would write or emily yeah. bronte would write is completely different mm -hmm. you know and uh language and has evolved yes pride and prejudice happens to be one of my favorite favorite all-time jane austens and uh reading the book is a hell is hella different than actually watching the movie even because oh, of course you can't have the the language as written in the book on screen i mean you can but you'd lose half your audience you know you would you'd lose half your audience. yeah because it just doesn't translate to modern day audiences all that well and um especially in a cinema type situation right. um so thanks now that brings so we're talking about writing and you can't talk about writing without the inevitable conversation of plotting versus pantsing uh that's kind of i i kind of i guess came in a little ahead of the game in that respect because i had already figured out um in high school that i I'm not a plotter. I, I can't plot. It doesn't work for me. doesn't matter if I'm writing nonfiction or fiction. It does not work for me. But I will say that back when I first started writing, there were so many people that were telling people, you have to plot out your novel. You have to plot out your novel. And it get, got so bad to the point where after like a couple of books, I was just like, do I? I was really starting to question that, like, do I, I mean, should I be plotting this? But then I kind of went back to myself. I'm like, why am I going to, I did try it. One book I tried and I was like, and I did the same, I ended up doing the exact same thing that I did with, when I was in high school, when I was right, when I read write outlines, I completely, after like one chapter, completely abandoned my out, my outline and just wrote. And it's, you know, I send it to, you know, I would send it to my editors and my editors had no clue I didn't write an outline because my brain just functions in a different way. But I, I, it is still one of those kind of like trip ups because I was starting to question myself in the early parts of my career as to whether or not I needed to have an outline. Like, did I, was I, was I not a real author if I didn't outline? No, I don't think I don't think you can. I think you can be either or you can be a hybrid of both, you know, because that's what I kind of am now a hybrid of both. And I think it's, you know, like I have a, this, this picture of Nora Roberts. and She's holding up a uh, a dry erase board and it says um, 
you know, any, you know, basically anyone who tells you there's only, there's only one way to write is mm-hmm. doesn't know what they're talking about. And you know what, because everybody is like Nora Roberts is the queen of head hopping. And I, when I was first writing, I used to head hop as well. And I had an editor say to me, well, you can't do this because you're not Nora Roberts. And I was like, okay, what if it's something where it's very, very clear to the writer, I mean, to the reader, which head they're in. And so I had to, I had to kind of unlearn that, but there are certain places where I still Mm -hmm. head hop a little bit. And one of those is during intimate scenes, because you've got two people that are so enmeshed, to put it politely, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, sometimes you want to know what's going on in the other person's head. As long as it's mm-hmm. clear from, you know, to, for the reader, I've and never had a reader. it happen too often. No, because it you doesn't don't want, you don't, you don't, right. But you don't want to do like two paragraphs in one person's head and then flip to two other paragraphs in the next person's head and then flip back to the first person's head and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth yeah. because then it, then it does to a reader kind of feel like you're ping ponging. Yeah. You know, who, they're a wait, wait, wait. Who's who's speaking? Who's in? Who am I? Who's yeah. in? Who's head am I in? So that's right. that is the only time I I ever allow myself to do it, and I have kind of started weaned myself away from that because it, that goes back to unless you are Nora Roberts, mm-hmm. you know, with a with a, a following and a thousand books out there mm-hmm. that it's you know, and she's also trained her readers that that's what they're going to expect. But read, most of the time, most readers these days are not expecting people to head hop. So you have to be very clear who's POV. It doesn't have to necessarily be that you have to not have two different POVs in the same chapter, but you have to make a very clear delineated break so that yes. they know who's head they're in now. Because the, the last mm-hmm. thing anyone wants to do as a writer whether you're brand new at this and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to stick my toe in this pool or Mm -hmm. somebody who's been doing the backstroke in this pool for a decade, like Mm -hmm. Sherry and I, the last thing we want to do is lose a reader when they're in your story. You do not want them pulled out of the story for any reason whatsoever, because the minute that they're pulled out, Mm -hmm. the effort that it takes for them to get back into the story, they'll put the book down and it'll become a DNF, a did not finish. And you don't want that. Yeah. That's now, did the- your did your writing like did your view on that change over the course of your publishing career? Yes. Did you did you have and how how did it? I mean, did My, how did it change? I mean, it, it it changed because I found that when I did pick up a book that was head hoppy all over the place, mm-hmm. that I I kind of was like, you know, um, you know, because then you you know your your editor hat goes on your head and you're like, okay this is not working. You know, I, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very hard to read a book that you're not enmeshed in when, it, because, because the writing is, is you're, you're correcting it in your head. Like, you know, you yes. this is the way it should have been. Oh my goodness. As, that's one of the downsides to being an author. I, I will, I, <laughs> I love reading. I have always loved reading, but I will say that one of the huge drawbacks of being an author for me is the fact that I cannot turn my editor brain off. I cannot, when I'm reading, I cannot turn my editor brain off. And even a book that I love, that's well-written, if there is some, if too many like errors start to pop up, I will notice them, drives me nuts because it pulls me out of the story. And like I said, even if I'm loving a book, 
it will pull me out of the story. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop. This is a good story. You like this story. Just stop. Turn yep. it off. Yep. I just had the entire oh. Cursed by Blood series, all eight books, read by a blogger slash book talker who is who was going to give me feedback on um the genre of the book mm-hmm. and the covers and and whatnot and um the one thing she did say is that there were certain books that needed to be edited better and mm. you know that 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 even she loved the stories loved the characters she thought they were strong but she said that she thought that they needed they needed to, uh, you know, like a little bit of spit polish, not a lot, but enough, but a, enough that enough. it caught her attention. Right. And this is the other thing, because I I emailed her back. Her name is Becca and she is amazing. Love, love, love this girl. Um, I said to her, it would I said either you would feel so sorry for me or it would make you ner- make you nauseous if I told you how much money I have spent on editing mm-hmm. in terms of spending money on people that I thought were was going were going to edit well mm-hmm. and have and and to have this come back and uh, it just it breaks my heart because it's yeah. like if you do not have a trad publisher who has a stable of editors at their at their fingertips to be able to pass this off and you're and you're trying to find an edit, editing services that are actually worth the money you're going to spend on them you sometimes you don't always get what you ask for you know no, and no. you know and it's it, you know and then it becomes on you know what do i do i have a pre-order i've sent this out for editing do i mix do i i miss my pre-order so that i can read it again or do i give it to somebody else with a clear set of eyes are they going to miss stuff too so that begs the question of what's allowable and what's not allowable the aim is to have zero yeah. zero edit- yes. errors. The aim yes. is to have zero. But, but that's what is, hard. That is very hard. You know, and what is the matter, percentage? <laughs> yeah, and it, and it doesn't really matter how many sets of eyes that you have on it because, I mean, people do miss stuff. We're, we're you know, we're human. We miss yeah. stuff. And, um, it, it, you know, there's only, if you, you know, if your book is 99%, correct grammatically don't stress about it I, I mean I used to stress way too much over um you know if if my 80,000 word book had like a handful of typos I used to stress so much about that because I wanted it to be perfect and now while I'll fix them if I find them or you know if somebody points them out to me I'm not, I, it, it's not as distressing anymore to me that, that I, that I find them, that they come up because I, you know, I know that I put my books through a professional edit. Um, I know I have them proofread, proofread before, you know, I publish them. And I also know that perfection is an unrealistic expectation. So I, I think that's yeah. one, that's a big thing that's changed for me over the course of my publishing career is I have learned to let go a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe I let go a little too early or maybe I was just too interested in getting the next book out, which Mm -hmm. is another thing that, you know, you're, you're, that you, what your younger author self compared to your older author Mm -hmm. self, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned that I learned is that when you put out a book, 
you need to market that book and you need to make sure that that book sells. And if you, you know, instead of just putting it out there and then jumping into writing the next book immediately, you know, which is the way that I handled things in the past mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to get things out, you know, it, it's, it could be I, an issue, especially yeah. people who choose to do rapid release, you know, making yeah. sure that your editor is on your editor is on the money you know, and that your editor is not just one person looking at it with one set of eyes. You need to have a proofreader, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think part of that is a keeping up with the Joneses mentality um, because there are some authors that publish every month, every six weeks, every eight weeks, what have you. And at least it, it's kind of died down a little bit now, but there was a point in time in within my publishing career where people were really pushing that narrative that you have to publish every six weeks or at least every eight weeks. And I, for one, am not a fast writer. I'm, I'm very meticulous in my writing. Um, and that's just my writing style. It's just, yeah. just how I do. And there is no way that I can write a book in a month just isn't happening. I, I mean, let alone the fact that my life in general, my, my personal life and my um, responsibilities outside of writing um, are vast and keep me quite busy. <clears throat> I cannot write a book in a month um, that I'm just going to be able to turn around and publish within a couple of weeks. It's just not going to happen. And so I think in that respect, you need to a respect your writing process. I've learned to do that. And, you know, a lot of that stems from Amazon's algorithms, um, which is a whole other subject that we're not going to dive into too deep today. Thank you, Bill. Um, but, <laughs> Thank but, you, please, and no. <laughs> but uh, again, that's kind of what, you know, that kind of goes back to you, you know, understanding the publishing process, knowing what you want out of your publishing career and being consistent with it. Um, I wouldn't recommend if you're writing genre fiction to, you know, publish every two years. But if you're getting out a couple of books a year, I, I, you know, it's not that bad. Don't, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up over it if you can't you know you can't put out a book every month or two um but that's like i said that's one of the things that i think but i i kind of look at it as like i said a keeping up with the joneses mentality it's like well this person over here is doing it so i should be able to do it and sometimes it's not a realistic goal and that's okay i mean it's the 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 other thing is also don't measure your own success by somebody else's success. Yes, yes, yes. Because they're not living in your shoes and you are not living in their shoes. No. Nope. Um, so you can't do that. Well, that kind of is a good segue into the big elephant in the room. Um, you don't mean me. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. I meant the word marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is such a this is such a big subject. Um One of the things, the biggest things that I have learned over the course of uh, my career in the marketing sphere is you can't try to do everything you I mean there there's so much marketing available like marketing classes and webinars and everything available in the author 
universe that I could realistically take a class every minute, every waking minute of every day. And so when am I supposed to write? When am I supposed to implement those marketing tactics? If if all I'm doing is taking class after class after class after class, when am I actually doing anything productive um, to actually sell my books? And whether you also going to put things into practice to to figure out what yeah. actually works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right, so just... I, I I have just learned to kind of um, pare down, pick one or two um, people in the marketing sphere that I really like. Um, our Mod Pod has been really great. We've we formed uh, a support group. That's yep. how we met. Yep. <laughs> we met through a marketing class and we got together because we needed a support group because we were all having some issues implementing um, yep. the teachings in said marketing group. Yep. And, you know, find a support group, find a couple of marketers uh, that you enjoy and follow those people or one or two, three at most. Seriously, really any more than that. And you're going to be, you're going to be bogged down in marketing classes. Um, especially if they're a, um, a regular marketing, if you're, you're actually doing like a, a long-term class, if it's just like a one-off, that's a little bit different, but if you're following somebody's marketing program or a long-term class, yeah, you don't want to be like having 10 of them that you're trying to follow. Find one that works for you, that you're comfortable with, that you like their style and, you know, go for it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, you can always drop them and find somebody else um, to, to fill out space. But you you don't want to get toe bogged down because I there was a while there where I was just trying to do everything. It's like, oh, there's a marketing class. I'm going to take it. Oh, there's another marketing class. I'm going to take it. And I would spend, and these marketing classes, they rarely, rarely are like a half an hour. They're an hour, two hours, three hours a time that's a lot of time to be dedicating to sitting in front of your computer, watching a class, not writing, not actually doing active marketing or, you know, spending time with your family. You're not doing any of those things. So use your time wisely, I guess, is something that I've, you know, tried to try to be a little more proactive and organized about it. Well, marketing is its own is its own animal. But mm-hmm. if you're looking for someone to actually help you with the mechanics of writing and with the, the craft itself, who's not going to tell you, you know, don't do this and don't do that, but are going to point out examples that you can then organically kind of just get used to. It becomes almost like a rhythm when you're writing um, in, in terms of empowering your, your character's emotion and, and, and getting into the depth of character as well mm-hmm. as fresh writing as well, you know, in, in conjunction with get the job done writing. Mm-hmm. The one, there is one person that I can recommend wholeheartedly and I, and everybody should write this down and that's Margie Lawson, margielawson.com. You, she is an amazing, an amazing editor and mentor when it comes to the mechanics of writing and mm-hmm. helping you get over um, that hump that, you know, that, that mountain that you need to climb to go from amateur to professional. And I, you know, I wholeheartedly recommend her, you know, uh, classes and they're, they're uh, you can print, you print them out. 
you know, uh, you mm -hmm. can either print them out and follow them or she's got webinars as well. And they're not super, super expensive. You know, they're, they're and these not. are for craft. These this is for, for this craft. Is, this is all for craft. And okay. it's it's um, I think I did empowering character emotion. I think it cost me like twenty four dollars, you know, mm. to be able to, to take it. And it, it's not just one lesson. You know, it's like 15 lessons for you to, mm. go, for you to go through. And it's, you know, they give, you know, and she does, she does weekends. I did a weekend with, um, um, with Hannah, with Hannah Byron, uh, one, one weekend, the two of us did it and it happened to be one of the weekends that they were, that they were coming to pack up my stuff in my house before I moved last oh, summer. Wow. And it was, um, it was crazy, but, um, it was eight hours on, on, on a Saturday and eight hours on a Sunday. And it was only $50. And the amount of information that she covered was amazing. It was, it was really well, well worth it. So you don't have to break the bank in order to be able to give yourself, you know, uh, a boost mm -hmm. and, you know, and, 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 and find uh, resources that are out there. Now there's the the uh, self-publishing formula, that's Mark Dawson, that I think is like nine hundred dollars. But once mm -hmm. you pay that nine hundred dollars, that's it. You're it's that's it for life. You're done. You can yeah. keep, you can keep going yeah. back and forth. You know, keep yeah. learning from him, no matter what what he's what he's put out there. The things that he's he's tried and 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 seen what worked and what didn't work. You don't have to pay another dime. So mm -hmm. I, so it's, it, it, yeah. Is it a month? Is this a money-making world that we, we, you know, industry that we're in? Yeah. And are there plenty of people who are charlatans out there who will, will, mm -hmm. will prey on your dreams to be able to make, you know, line their mm -hmm. own pockets? Absolutely. And that's where it's, you know, you have to kind of do your research and you have to talk to people and make sure that you're talking to the right people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I kind of think it goes back to what are you getting for your money? Um, because if you're willing, if you're, if you're going to have somebody who's willing to hold your hand through the process and answer your questions as you go along and critique you as you go along and things like that, yep. then you're, you're probably going to be paying more for that than you are for a pre-made class. Do your research. Yep. I mean that, yeah, just do your research. Um, because I will tell you that if you talk to any author that's been in this industry for a long time, probably for five or more years, um, they will probably tell you that they have been burned on a marketing cons, you know, a marketer or a program or whatever at some point in time in their career. Right. Um, because there, there are some smooth talkers, they present a good game and they don't deliver. So before you go into it. And that's not to say you shouldn't take classes. That's not to say you shouldn't go into programs. Just a matter of make sure you know what you're getting for the amount of money that you're getting it. And I right. will say that if you're paying any significant amount of money, there should be some personal coaching involved in that. Absolutely. If you're if we're if we're starting to talk about thousands here, if you're starting to talk about thousands of dollars, you need to be getting personal coaching out of that because right. that is a lot of money to be paying somebody um, to not have them offer to look at what you're putting forth to give you personalized advice or critiques on what you're putting forth. Um, right. Because most classes don't say that. Like you said, Mark Dawson's, you know, class is $900, but it's for lifetime access. Um, you know, there's other classes that are, you know, that are, you know, four and $500, 
which again, it depends on what you're getting for it. If right. it's a class that's, you know, giving you a lot of information that you can utilize to help your career, then it may be worth it. But again, you got to look at the whole picture. Right. So I think that's actually going to wrap up what we have for you today. I think we covered quite a bit of topics. If you have been in this industry for a year, uh, five years, 10 years, even six months, um, share with us some of the things you've learned in your publishing journey. We would love to hear. You can go to boundbybookspodcast.com, leave us a comment. Um, and until next time, have a great writing week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bound by Books podcast. For more information about the show and all of our hosts, visit our website at www.boundbybookspodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.